0: Hi folks, welcome back to episode 37 of the Fearless Flyer podcast. My name's Grant and joining me once again, as per usual, is James. How are you, James? Yeah, I'm good, thank you.
1: Uh, I hope all our listeners at home are doing well.
0: In this episode, we're going to be talking about terrorism and disruptive passengers. But in the last episode, we chatted about the engineering aspect of operating an aircraft and it was good to have Glenn join us in an interview for that. In this episode, we're going to be discussing terrorism, we're going to be addressing the issue of pilot suicide, which, as I've stated before, is, in my opinion, a selfish act of terrorism, and we'll finish on those pesky, disruptive passengers. So, James, what's a simple definition for terrorism?
1: So, I guess a simple definition for terrorism is that of the US uh, FBI, uh, which is the unlawful use of force or violence against any persons or property to intimidate or coerce a government, the civilian population, or any segment thereof, in furtherance of political
0: or social objectives. Okay, that makes sense. So uh, what would be a simple way of uh, explaining that?
1: So breaking it down, basically, is that people are doing bad things to innocent people to get their way.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Now, this podcast is about aviation, but uh, terrorists, in their quest, they use any means available to them to achieve their objectives. They could be like hijacking a ship, blowing up a bridge or building, taking hostages in a school, et cetera, et cetera. And the bigger the headline, the more focus they get for their cause, which I guess is why aviation in the 70s was such an attractive target for terrorists.
1: Yeah, but it hasn't obviously just been in the 70s. The first real documented account of a terrorist act it was on uh, November the 5th, 1605, which is now more commonly known as Guy Fawkes Night. And this is known also as the Gunpowder Plot. And basically, a group of English Catholics, led by Robert Cattersby, plotted to bomb the House of Lords in the UK in order to kill King James I. The idea was then to install his nine-year-old daughter, Princess Elizabeth, as the Catholic head of state. The explosives beneath the House of Lords was discovered a day before the planned destination. As a result, the conspirators were either killed in a battle at a mansion near Birmingham or executed for treason.
0: Yeah, so back to aviation. Terrorism can be broken down into a number of different scenarios. You've got a bomb being placed upon an aircraft and being detonated remotely or by a mechanism. You've got a hostage situation whereby the aircraft is taken over by a terrorist or a group of terrorists. Then in later years, you've got an aircraft that has been taken out by a missile, whether that be from another aircraft or a SAM, which stands for a surface-to-air missile, or maybe even just someone simply shooting at the aircraft from the ground.
1: Yeah, and generally, whatever the act is against a commercial aircraft, the general idea is to politicize an issue. So it's generally a minority group versus, say, a government. There might also be a religious issue or a group simply just trying to use the situation for retaliation. Maybe a group is trying to get their fellow believers and their cause out of prison. At the end of the day, the act of terrorism inevitably involves innocent civilians and has been a great cause of concern in the aviation industry.
0: And there's a document written about terrorism titled Aviation Terrorism Risk Past, Present and Future. And we'd like to quote a few rough statistics from this document in order to give you an idea of the trend with regard to terrorism in our industry. In the 70s, there were 111 attacks on aircraft, and nearly 75% of these attacks were hijackings, and roughly 25% of these 111 attacks, they involved a bomb.
1: And in the 80s, there were 89 attacks inside of aircraft around two-thirds of these being hijacks, and around one-third, again, being some kind of bomb.
0: And then we move to the 90s, and this had dropped to now 45 attacks, around 85% now a hijack situation, and 15% a bomb. And in the period further to that, 2000 to 2008, which is when the data finished, there were 19 attacks. Around 45% were a hijack. And just over 25% were a bomb. But a, a new category which stood out was just over 25% of being a hijack, which led to a crash. And that's with reference to the infamous 2001 terrorist attack that used aircraft to crash into the Twin Towers and Pentagon in September of 2001.
1: So with this information, there is clearly a declining trend on terrorist activities against individual aircraft. After all, aviation has grown significantly in the time period covering these statistics. However, the type of terrorism has changed significantly in the latter years, and the statistics show individual attacks have changed in their outcome.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, these types of terrorisms kind of bring a new category to these statistics. In addition to the 11th of September 2001 day where hijackers not only hijacked the aircraft, but they flew them into the buildings. Then there's also been the surface-to-air missile to shoot down and passenger aircraft over the Ukraine in July of 2014. And again, the shooting down of another airliner departing out of Tehran in January 2020. And these are new categories that indicate that we as an industry must learn from these acts and put into place methods to prevent such occurrences happening again. And the industry has done just this. Airport security was a significant deterrent.
1: However, the industry had become sort of over-complacent until 11th of September 2001. Since then, airport security went into overdrive. This not only goes for you, the passenger, but also for the crew, engineers, catering staff, and all associated equipment that goes from outside the airport through to the air side of an airport. All your baggage is screened by security as well.
0: Yeah, airport security staff have become a painful part of the flying process, but for good reasons. And this painful process applies to everyone and everything that goes airside to where aircraft operate on an airport.
1: Even down to, say, your meals on board the uh, aircraft. Yeah, that's right. But anyway, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So this is one way in which terrorism has been significantly reduced, this arduous process makes it extremely difficult to get weapons airside and thus reduces the chance of a person intent on an act of sabotage getting near an aircraft. So next time you get your nail clippers taken off you, just shrug your shoulders and be comfortable in the fact that no would-be hijacker is going to have nail clippers to take control of your aircraft either.
0: Yeah, those evil nail clippers, yeah. Even if a passenger decided to get off an aircraft once on board, a security check must be made. And if a passenger checks in and does not board the flight, then their checked luggage must be offloaded as well.
1: And post 9-11, it's been mandated that all commercial aircraft have doors to the flight deck that are lockable and extremely strong, which is another deterrent to would-be
0: hijackers. Yes, that's right. And the crew there are trained to handle a terrorist situation, and that's all I'm going to say here. As regard to a bomb on the aircraft, The deterrent is already in place with ground screening of all items that go near an aircraft.
1: And as for missile attacks against aircraft, aircraft are now routed around airspace where there are conflicts post the Ukraine incident where a 777 was taken out by a missile. Some airlines had already refused to fly over that airspace, but some airlines don't want to spend the extra money on fuel and flight time, and this will take certain routes where there is hostility in order to keep their operating costs down. So definitely uh, research your airline and avoid these types of airlines.
0: Yep, that's a very good point. So we are not able to discuss all security measures. There are security enhancements that are behind the scenes that are in addition to what we've discussed that have significantly made terrorism non-existent nowadays. Suffice to say, solid airport security has significantly reduced many forms of terrorism by not allowing would-be hijackers to bring implements Onboard aircraft that could be easily used as a weapon, as goes for devices which can be used to bring an aircraft down.
1: Then there is the shooting down of an aircraft, which generally occurs by a military misidentifying an aircraft.
0: Yes, that has happened a few times and, luckily, an extremely rare occurrence, but only three that I'm aware of. We do listen out on emergency frequency all the time, which enables the military to contact us for positive identification should there be any uncertainty. So that's one way of mitigating that type of incident happening. Anyway, let's talk about pilot suicide because we have to address it. And as I've said before, in my opinion, this is a form of selfish terrorism. In commercial jet aircraft history, to my knowledge, there's only been six pilot suicides, and this is six too many. The fact that it is actually low... A low number, I feel, is due to the fact that a lot of work and financial sacrifice is made to become a pilot, and most of the pilot workforce do love their job. So why would they want to ruin what they've worked so hard to achieve?
1: So we did want to mention how the industry has addressed this issue since the idiot pilot intentionally crashed a German-wings jet into the European Alps in March of 2015.
0: Yeah, the main way this has been addressed is more intense screening of pilots from psychologists and always ensuring a minimum of two crew members are on the flight deck. So if one pilot leaves, say, for a comfort break, a cabin crew member must be brought into the flight deck to preserve the two crew on the flight deck policy. I can't put my hand on my heart and say it won't happen again, but strategies have been put into place by reputable airlines to mitigate this from happening.
1: Okay. Now onto disruptive passengers.
0: No, okay, just disrupt- pesky. Go pesky. No. I'm not using cringe-worthy adjectives oh, then. Come on. Pisky. You're such pisky a pesky
1: child. Yeah, okay, now onto those disruptive passengers. pisky. And these pisky. disruptive passengers, I'm not saying it. We're gonna <laughs> should I put this in the podcast? No. <laughs> Okay, so now onto these disruptive passengers, and these passengers seem to have gotten worse over the years. A disruptive passenger can be anyone who is a pain for any number of reasons. It could be they become irritated with a fellow passenger, intoxicated, which leads to a per- change in personality, or abusive to a cabin crew member for any number of reasons.
0: Yeah, and a disruptive passenger is one who causes a disturbance to good order at the airport or on board an aircraft while the passenger door is still open, whilst an unruly passenger is one who causes a disturbance to good order of the safety or property of persons on board an aircraft when the doors are closed until they are reopened for landing.
1: Yeah, and there are many forms of disruption, as you can imagine. But what it all means is that it is uncomfortable for you as the passenger who's just trying to get from A to B. Some of the hidden reasons they may become disruptive, lies in the fact they may themselves be anxious of flying. And it could be any reason or the reason why you personally are listening to this podcast. So irritation or drinking too much is a way for them to overcome their anxiety, which in turn leads to a personality change with potential disastrous results for fellow passengers and the crew.
0: Yeah, And the crew, they have a process in which they follow in order to deal with disruptive or unruly behavior. And we call it something like conflict management. And the objects are something like protecting other passengers, calming the imbecile down using certain techniques, and ultimately preventing further escalation. We categorize this unruly behavior, and the crew has very good training to deal with each of these categories. Ultimately, I as the captain can order a passenger to be physically restrained as a last resort, By this stage, other passengers have been known to assist uh, the cabin crew and they probably wouldn't feel sorry for any unruly passenger who is making a fool of themselves with, say, a special forces passenger, person on the aircraft. It's happened before and the unruly passenger suffered the additional humiliation of being subdued by a fellow passenger who has had enough. So, yeah, fellow passengers, they can get fed up and help the crew, which is really good for the crew.
1: Yeah, and crew can also ask fellow passengers to assist with subduing an irritable passenger in question.
0: And if it does escalate to a significant level, it is likely that the cabin crew may ask you to provide a statement as evidence for future prosecution of the unruly passenger. Of course, a lot of folk have mobile phones nowadays and it's generally recorded and put on online for see. so the additional humiliation towards that imbecile is quite fantastic, really. And depending on the level of the event, I can ask for police to meet the aircraft upon arrival.
1: Yeah, and which the outcomes of that can be quite severe with financial loss, jail time, and being banned from a particular airline or multiple airlines if a word gets out about them.
0: Yeah, I personally would like to see an international ban for a period of time by all airlines. And this would act as a great deterrent for these troublesome folk. What else can be considered unruly behaviour? Smoking on board an aircraft not allowed the main reason is it's a fire hazard and we take every opportunity to reduce the chance of a cabin fire and sneaking a cigarette in the toilet might actually cause a fire so yeah that's all I can think to talk about in this episode is there anything else you could think of james no just
1: a quick summary the aircraft have become pretty hard target for terrorists these days due to the stringent security requirements that airports have in place for passengers crew and other airport personnel, and airline flight planners now avoid routes over known areas of war or civil unrest. There also must now be at least two crew on the flight deck of a jet at all times, and although disruptive passengers are a pain in the butt, the industry has come up with ways to try and act as a deterrent towards this, such as fines and bans. Airlines operating from dodgy countries or countries where corruption occurs, are more susceptible though to this sort of terrorism. So definitely do your research when picking an airline. Don't always go for the cheapest. Uh, sometimes there is a reason why they're they're a lot cheaper.
0: Yeah. And like you said before, if you have a a war zone, you see a certain airline flying over a war zone, you're thinking, well, why are they doing that? They're just opening themselves up to more problems. The flight deck thing is a rule in um, quite a few companies, but not all companies have that rule. It's not a mandated rule internationally the two crew on the flight deck, so that might be worth checking out.
1: Yeah, and just a simple Google, if you wanted to find out what airlines have those policies in place, or return your answers.
0: Yeah, and with that, this concludes episode 37. In the next episode, 38, we're going to be talking about movies and TV and the news, and uh, we're going to try and find a few of my colleagues that have seen movies or listened to news articles about incidents and talk about the fact that what you see in movies or on news items that are either exaggerated or not correct and put these incidents in perspective or more to the point, bring a bit of reality to them.
1: And that includes air crash investigations.
0: Yeah. Anyway, from me, thank you very much to your ears for listening. Have a wonderful day wherever you are in the world. And from James.
1: Yeah. Good evening and goodbye.